Hello and welcome to Cult Movie Cult, where we watch and discuss the horrific, the obscure, and the flat-out strange from the other side of cinema. This is Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink, and this is the first episode in our new series, Fright Light, Non-Horror Horror Films. So, Jeremy, um, first of all, welcome back. <laughs> yes, it's been a while. Welcome, welcome Everyone, back welcome well. back. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, there's really no rhyme or reason to when we record this show. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of just on the fly. It's kind of like we'll just hit each other up and say, hey, I have an idea for series or something like that. So uh, that's kind of what happened with this. And uh, I'm sure we've both been busy since the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are a regular listener to the show and you're still with us, uh, I do want to say thank you <laughs> for tuning back in. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the cult. Mm-hmm. So thanks for checking us out. We're uh, So we're just two filmmakers who discuss uh, strange and bizarre or, or less, I guess, less seen films, right? Yeah, um, well, a mix, a mix, you know. A the, mix, yeah, it is a mix. Some, some a little more say, mainstream. But. The the other side of cinema. <laughs> the other side, yeah. Yeah. Films that have some kind of cult following, and I, you know, we would be remiss to even have this show and not talk about the film we're going to talk about today, Eraserhead, a film by David Lynch from 1977. And this film, Jeremy, I've been wanting to talk about it since the very beginning. It's one of my all-time favorite films. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Lynch is one of my all-time, if not my favorite, director of all time. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was certainly one that I wanted to get to, and that's why I was. We had tossed around different movies we wanted to talk about for the series, uh, non or for Fright Light, non-horror horror films, and this one was just at the forefront. And I just I said we got to do it, you know, just let's dive mm-hmm. right in with Eraserhead. So um, Jeremy, let's start with you. Um, so what? What are your, I guess, experiences with this film? Because it really is an experience of a film. Um, when did you first see it? You know, how did you see it? Or, you know, whatever you want to talk about with it. Yeah, so so like you, Mark, um, David Lynch was really instrumental in me kind of getting deep into movies in the first place. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I always kind of liked movies, um, but it wasn't until I, Blue Velvet was the first one I saw where I, I went to art school, so seeing Blue Velvet, you know, I was, like, going to art museums and galleries and seeing all this really radical artwork, and for me, movies, you know, the kind of movies I was watching didn't feel like they had that level of, you know, um, mm-hmm. I- ideological sophistication, abstraction, fearlessness, because I was mostly watching, you know, mainstream movies, which there's nothing wrong with mainstream movies, but, mm-hmm. you know, for my personal tastes, and then I, I stumbled across Blue Velvet, and it just totally blew my mind because I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is the same thing these gallery artists are doing, except it's a movie. That's the mm-hmm. coolest thing in the world. Exactly. And then so as soon as I had watched Blue Velvet, I basically had a, a David Lynchathon um, and had to just <laughs> plow through as much of his filmography, including um, all of Twin Peaks that was out at the time. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. This is, you know, before the return, but uh, right. as much Which of it as I could. Well. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And so, you know, obviously one of those movies was Eraserhead. And it was, to me, definitely, um, you know, when I watched Eraserhead, I had seen Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive. And Eraserhead was kind of a big leap of faith because those other movies, while they are abstract, you know, at least... um, at least you're you're in a, a pretty straightforward story for mm-hmm. until a certain point. And Eraserhead was it, yeah. yeah, Eraserhead, you know, obviously Mulholland Drive has some sections that are pretty darn abstract, but you're you're at least not right away thrust into it. And Eraserhead mm-hmm. was one of the first movies that I saw that just kind of embraced abstraction wholeheartedly. Like there are mm-hmm. things in this movie that, you know, make no sense. Um but for me personally it was one of the first experiences I had where that was really exciting to me in a movie. Yeah. I, I, at no point in watching it was I sitting there upset because it didn't make sense. Because <laughs> I was just so absorbed in the in the feeling, in the tone. The absorbed. Of the movie. That's a good. That's yeah. a good word. It's like you have to kind of give yourself over to it. Yeah. And with David Lynch movies, I feel like with all of them, really, there's that surface level which you mentioned with you mm-hmm. know which Blue Velvet definitely has and and uh, um, Mulholland Drive and some of his other films, but. Really, there's always that other level, at least one other level. At least um, one, so, yeah. Yeah, Sometimes so many more. you know, and 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 even that opening to uh, we're not going to talk about um, Blue Velvet too much, but mm-hmm. that opening to Blue Velvet where you see the idyllic suburban neighborhood, and then the camera, so, you know, you 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 sort of sink down and you go sort of beneath the ground, and you're you're seeing the worms and and the you know everything underneath, and to me that is like quintessential david lynch like that yeah. is what he that's what he does you know uh, mm-hmm. so but yeah it sounds like you had a similar experience to me um with seeing Eraserhead, mm-hmm. um because I, I think i had seen mulholland drive mm-hmm. because at the time and i wasn't even really aware of david lynch at the time i you know it was some friends that said yo you got you gotta check out this weird movie it was like one of the, you know okay so we you know we would watch it and that was crazy like but you know but i was into it and i was like i have to see more like i just had to see more um, and I think it was my, my younger brother. Um, he had a copy of Eraserhead. Of course, appropriately, it was on like some Japanese import VHS yeah. or something at the time. Because I don't know if people realize now how hard it was to actually Find see some movies like this. back yeah. then. Because I think even at that time, which it wasn't even that long ago, but um, up until pretty recently, you there was not really like a definitive print of Eraserhead to even watch. Um, yeah. Until you know, eventually it did come out on DVD and Blu-ray and all of that. Yeah. Um, Which is funny because there there are probably a lot of people, you know, I mean, we we can get into the story, but Eraserhead's not, like a lot of things we talk about on this podcast, it's not really a story movie. Usually not. You know, you you talk about the the emotions, the images, Um, but it's Mm -hmm. funny because thinking about that, there are probably a lot of people out there who think that Eraserhead is a kind of uh, cheap, grainy you know, like not ugly necessarily, but because just because it was, it's it's kind of you know when we talk uh-huh. about cult movies. A lot of people probably watch this on beat up VHS tapes or weird yeah. internet rips, and like didn't because you know watching it now, like like I watched Eraserhead uh, for this podcast on uh, Criterion. I watched it on yeah. Criterion channel, and the print was gorgeous. And that was one thing that you know I've seen it before. I've seen it a few times, but watching it today, one thing that I was just so impressed with. Uh, was just what a beautifully photographed mm-hmm. movie this is, and, and mm-hmm. of course that that contributes, um, you know, contributes so much to this this feeling we talk about of being absorbed and giving yourself over to it. It's right away from that opening shot of the kind of I, I don't know what we call it. I, I've always thought of it as a kind of meteor, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the whatever that. But it's never really totally explained. It's something yeah. in the radiator. But that opening shot 
with Jack Nance, who plays our main character, Henry, with his head. And mm-hmm. it's just like, it, it, the lighting, the framing is just immaculate in every mm-hmm. single scene in this movie. It's really yeah, incredible. Yeah, the, the cinematography by uh, Herbert Cardwell and Frederick Elms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just phenomenal. And that's so funny, Jeremy, that you, see, you bring up the grainy factor, the graininess. Because in my head, honestly, up until I had even, I guess, got it on Blu-ray, the Criterion, um, in my head, this movie was always grainy, right? And yeah. It, and it's probably just because of the way I watched it, mm-hmm. um, which did add to the experience in a certain way, I, yeah. I do have to say. The VHS. It's its own thing. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's its own thing, but you know, it's a certain aesthetic. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, either way, I think the movie is really beautiful, um, the way it's shot and just... it's. And, but I was so surprised to see how pristine everything looked and how, you know, you, you really see the intricacy uh, that Lynch had with each shot because the mm-hmm. film did take... literally years to make it was his first feature film um he had made short films before it um okay well now i'm getting ahead of myself so let me go back real quick (laughs) to when i first watched the movie i do want to talk about all of that we're going to get to it um but anyway so first time i saw it like i said was on that vhs and jeremy like you i i had seen you know i'd seen a little bit of his work and i and I was into movies, like I always loved movies as a kid or whatever. But when I saw this film, there was something about it. I was probably in my early 20s, maybe I was probably around 20 or something like that. And I saw this film and it just, something changed. Like something, mm-hmm. something happened. And it was like, I want to do that. Like I want to, this, this was instrumental in me wanting to be a filmmaker. Um, one of, I would say probably several films, but... Uh, this one was at the forefront for me. Like when I saw this, it was it was like op- it really was like opening a portal to another world. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you you mentioned like the opening to this film, and it, it's just it feels it felt like that in my it just completely blew my mind. Um, so it had a huge impact and a huge influence on me as a filmmaker. And uh, I think my first feature I made was was essentially there were scenes that were essentially ripped off from this. I think, yeah. I think I made a couple of shorts that were kind of like pseudo Eraserhead, you know, mm-hmm. wannabe. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, this movie just blew my mind, uh, opened up a world of possibilities of what you could, what you could do with film mm-hmm. um, and what a movie could be. Because mm-hmm. to me, it was like, oh, you have like a, a basic plot and a premise and blah, blah, blah. But this was just so experimental, like the experimental nature of it and, and how bizarre everything was and the surreal imagery uh, and the sound, which I definitely want to talk about because that, that almost gets overlooked sometimes when people yeah. discuss this film. Uh, but that's a huge part of it. So all of that together, um, it, you know, it just it really had an, uh, a profound effect on me. I probably watched it late at night, too. That was <laughs> yeah, that probably helped. Uh, you know, it's just like the overall experience of it. And I just always go back to that as like kind of the defining moment of when I, you know, I wanted to actually get into film and, and try to do things like David Lynch was doing because I just thought it was so cool. I would, I would though, to, not to counter that, but to elaborate, I feel like you could watch this film at 11 in the morning and you would still be watching it late at night. It's just, you well, know, you just, just that, that kind right? of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, you like, you, yeah. you're like, you, you're, yeah. you just are so lost in it. it. It's whatever time it is in the movie is when it's you're watching true. it. You know? I, no, for sure. Yeah. I, I saw it at a drive-in actually mm-hmm. uh, pretty recently. And even that experience was, was like its own thing. And it was just so cool um, yeah. just seeing it and it was projected on film and all of that. So it really, any way you see this movie, I mean, even if you watch mm-hmm. it on, I mean, not to, I don't even know if it's on YouTube, but you know, any way you can find this movie, um, mm-hmm. no matter how you watch it, I think it will have some sort of an effect on you. Yeah. Even if it's not completely your thing, I, I think you might 
you know, again, if you're listening to the show, you, you, you'll probably enjoy what you're seeing in yeah. some way. Well, enjoy might not be the right word, but it'll be fascinating and it'll and, be an experience. Uh, it'll take it'll be an experience. It'll take hold of you. For sure. Yeah. So let's let's yeah, before we, we dig to and let's let's jump back and do what we can in terms of talking through story just in case you know there's yeah. anyone who well, let's give a little background yeah, yeah in sure. case there's maybe anyone you know, like we always recommend watching these movies ahead of time um mm-hmm. before let's you know there's our podcast is filled with spoilers and you know it's, oh, yeah. it's meant to meant to be a dialogue about something you've already experienced but you know just in case there's anyone who's watched this for the first time and is maybe just totally baffled um <laughs> let's well which we'll, could we'll, happen <laughs> well yeah we'll, we'll try to give it a little bit of framing so essentially the story follows a young man named henry um, the film is, I mean, interviews I've heard was shot in, um, well, it was shot at AFI, but based on David Lynch's experience of Philadelphia, um, mm-hmm. you know, this, this very kind of industrial landscape, a little depressed, um, but it essentially follows this young man named Henry, who is in a relationship, um, or a kind of a, a pseudo relationship, uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard to exactly yeah. identify it, but with his girlfriend, Mary <laughs> X, um, and he's invited to go to dinner with her and her family. And basically that night at dinner, uh, yeah. Mary's mother reveals to Henry that uh, Mary has is not pregnant, but has had a child. Um, yeah, she's had a child. She's had a child, unbeknownst to Henry. And Henry is now responsible for caring for the child. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, Mark, what do you think? Is that, is that like... Well, it's, uh, you know, the, the film is cool. so abstract. It, yeah, I mean, that's pretty close. It's... it's um, yeah. Yeah, that's basically what the film is. It's, to parse uh, it down. Man, yeah, it's this man sort of dealing with these different anxieties, I guess, these mm-hmm. emotions. Um, because to me, the film's just all an allegory for... Um, I believe Lynch was... I think he was a new father at the time when he mm-hmm. uh, was, was at least... I don't know if when he was writing the film or making the film. or uh, you know, it, it all happened around the same time. So mm-hmm. I think there's definitely like... Um, you know, insecurities there and anxieties and fear and all of that uh, put into this, I, I guess, yeah, like you said, the story re- revolves around uh, this infant, this baby. Um, and the baby is um, it, it presented in the film as a, a bit of a monstrosity. It's almost like mm-hmm. a creature, you know, um, and there's different uh, stories out there about what the baby actually is like what they use for the baby i personally i think it's just like a puppet or something like that but there are some wild theories out there about what they actually use like yeah i don't don't even know if i want to get into it but yeah Yeah. different (laughs) different animal parts on research and come up with your (laughs) own theory if you yeah again but that adds to the mystery right like yeah story stories like that um but yeah that's that's the basic premise jeremy well and apparently you know and and there's a lot of lore surrounding this movie um, you know, in a lot of stories, we don't know how many of them are true or not true. That's yeah, kind of the yeah. beauty of a it's film, a, a film, especially yeah. a film made in that time that's made so independently when there was much less of an independent film scene. Um, yeah. Is that there's not a lot of documentation of the process. You know, it was yeah. a small crew. There's really probably only, you know, and, and now, was, you know, a few people have passed away. So there's even less right. who actually yeah. know what was going on on that who set. Who actually know. <laughs> right. You know. Um, yeah. And I think but, more recently, um, I was going to touch on this later, but more recently, David Lynch has spoken about uh, the making of this film and other films, which mm-hmm. he didn't, which he didn't used to do. Like he, yeah. he would not, he would really not speak on his films at all, mm-hmm. um, which I want to talk about more later. But yeah, uh, some light has been shed on it. Um and you mentioned Philadelphia. I think he only lived there for a short amount of time. Yeah. And I've lived in Philadelphia, so just, like I've seen the areas um, 
where he lived and yeah they're still kind of like that <laughs> and i yeah. could see where you know how images of this film would arise from that um i forget if he actually filmed any of it in philly i think most of it was in california but um definitely inspired by his time staying in philadelphia when he lived there and the fear he felt i guess it was very violent at the time <laughs> and you know the fear he felt just being in his apartment or when he would walk down the street uh, these are the kinds of things that would fester in his mind and and, and eventually made its way into this film mm-hmm. um, and as I said he had made a couple of short films which were very experimental in, in nature um, definitely check those out if you get a chance because those, those are really cool to see yeah. and they're very short mm-hmm. um, but this was his first feature film Eraserhead and he enlisted the talents of uh, a lot of yeah like, I think they were mostly like art students friends of his mm-hmm. um, and of course we can't talk about them without mentioning Jack Nance who is sort of like you know, he's like the stalwart. Uh, uh, he's, he's in a lot of Lynch's films. He's always a, a bit player, or at least up until his death. Um, mm-hmm. But he's the main actor in this film. And uh, what, how do you, what do you think of, of his performance in this? Uh, curious to hear what you think, Jeremy. Oh, I love Jack Nance in this. I think he was just, I, I couldn't think of a better person. Oh, he's, he's so to, perfect. To play the role. Like, you know, there, there's just some, you know, in the, in, the, in the history of cinema, there's just those characters <laughs> that are paired with the right actor. Mm-hmm. And and this is one of them, you know. It's like I I don't I don't think there is an eraser head without <laughs> yeah. Jack Nance's just perfect. You know, it's like you you can't you can't beat it for for this character. He's like he's an everyman, but he's like so quirky and eccentric. Yeah. Because I I think I think that's I think that's kind of the difficult thing, you know, as a filmmaker and and as a writer that I you know I've definitely come across, and I think a lot of people come across is when you're doing something where you have a character that isn't necessarily given a lot of uh given a lot of dialogue. backstory given a lot yeah, of dialogue backstory. it's it's hard to create a unique character um yeah. it, it, it's a real challenge it can, it can kind of become this thing where you know when you want to explore the idea of an every man or an every woman you know the it can, it can become very trope driven it can become very generic mm-hmm. very stock and i think obviously uh you know all the elements that played into this from you know cinematography the, the really, you know, production design, wardrobe, everything played into this character. But I think a huge amount of it is is just the 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 tenderness and mm-hmm. the the neurosis that mm-hmm. Jack Nance brought to brought to the table for this character that made him feel distinctly his own. Yeah. He takes what is essentially a silent uh, performance and, and really just mm-hmm. he, I think what he does with it is pretty amazing. Just even in, in his mm-hmm. eyes and in his face. Um, mm-hmm. You could even just watch him for an entire movie, I feel like, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty much what you're doing with this movie, but also all this other surreal and, and nightmarish imagery that we're going get, to get yeah. to in a bit. There, um, there, uh, real- just, just sorry, sorry to interrupt, but just oh, to, yeah. to one quick Jack Nance thing that I was yeah. thinking of, which I think just perfectly summed up. It was one little moment in the movie. It's relatively early on um, when he's just gone to Mary's parents' house and mm-hmm. he's sitting there talking... That's a good um, scene. <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 it's one scene where he's sitting on the couch next to Mary, and he's talking to Mary's father, and Mary chickens. just... Chickens! Yeah, chickens. When you talk, talking about the chickens, yeah. <laughs> Little damn things. Little damn um, things. But, but uh, uh, Mary, all of a sudden, mid-conversation, kind of starts convulsing starts um, <laughs> for no reason, and, right. and there's this great Jack Nance moment where he kind of shifts his eyes a little bit. They're, they're talking about printing and how he works in printing. And he kind of just shifts his eyes for a moment, sees that she's convulsing hysterically, then just keeps talking about printing. 
Um, <laughs> and it was just, it was such a, it yeah. was, I was like, that's like, that's the performance right there. He gave just enough mm-hmm. where, where we, we understand and we relate and we get that he understands that this environment and world he's living in is a little strange, but he's also <laughs> part of it. He's not, but he's part of it. Yeah. yeah he's not removed yeah. from it. He's in it just enough, but he's, he's also just gives us just enough kind of basic normal human sanity that he's the one mm. we follow and can see, see through his eyes. And I thought that yeah. moment just captured like, it so perfectly yeah he's our straight man like this. yeah yeah and also it's like you do wonder how much of the film is improvised too like i did always yeah. wonder that who knows because um, i feel like i don't know but they you know back when they were using film it was i guess a little bit harder more expensive to do improv but um yeah some moments like that are just they feel like almost like in, he's like he, or maybe he came up with it right before they shot the, or something you know something yeah. like that but anyway yeah i love those little moments in the film um mm-hmm. and that's a great scene that you mentioned when he meets the parents for the first time. Um, but yeah, Jack Nance, I wanted to say another thing about him. So this this actor was, he didn't really do much. He was in the Twin Peaks series. And like I said, a lot of Lynch's films. And he showed up in some other things, mostly like bit parts. Um, but he was a man who was so eccentric and interesting that he was a subject of a documentary, actually. Um, I don't know if you knew about this, Jeremy, but it's called You Don't Know. Yeah, it's called You Don't Know Jack. Oh, and yeah, I, actually, I think it I have came heard of that. out. I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, something like that. But it, um, David Lynch uh, does speak in it about him and their relationship and their friendship that they had together because they really started out together. Like, you know, Jack Nance was, he began acting the same time that Lynch began directing. So they kind of came up together and, you know, it was sad that he, he did have an early death. And But typically Jack Nance, it was a very mysterious death shrouded in, in a lot of, uh, sort of, you know, it, again, it's like the making of Racerhead. There's lots, lots of stories about it, and no one really knows what happened. Something about he was at a outside of a donut shop, and someone threw a donut at his head, and the next moment he ended up on the floor dead. That, that's all I've read about it, really. But uh, you know, obviously, there's more to it than that. But again, he just has one of those like, pecu- like very peculiar uh, Hollywood, you know, deaths that's very strange. And not to laugh at the, you know, but just like the circumstances of of it are just very Jack Nance. And, yeah, you know, he, he's one of those men that will just like always remain a mystery, much like uh, Lynch will, I think. So, yeah, he also it, it, interesting. Yeah. Just another another Jack Nance fact that I'm finding is he was actually married for a while to Catherine E. Coulson, her, fo- mm-hmm. her who for the David Lynch fans out there is Log Lady from Twin Peaks. Log so, Lady, who also just passed away, sadly. Yeah, Log Lady, and she was also in one of David Lynch's early short films, uh, The Amputee. Um, so, right, yep. Yeah. So, I don't know, it's, it's you know, I think so David they were Lynch... All... Mm. Yeah, he, he kind yeah. of could attract these people who just had yeah. such a specific vibe, <laughs> you know, they just had Yeah, something... for sure, yeah, it's and, like his troop, his players, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, yeah, that's that's what it was, it was almost like this troop of, like, almost like theater people that were came together they weren't really theater people but you know just that no. kind of vibe of of creating because you know because they had to create the sets and they had to you know make their own environments for a lot of the scenes and and create costumes and props and makeup mm-hmm. and all of that so um and we'll definitely get to the makeup in a bit too <laughs> when we speak about mm-hmm. the lady and the radiator um so david lynch um no he's someone uh again he that we've brought up a lot on the show so being able to dive into a lynch film is is great but I, I do want to just give a little bit of a uh, just just at the top. Uh, well, not the top of the show anymore, but <laughs> in the middle of the show. So, like sorry, that... sorry if this one uh, is, is a little <laughs> nonlinear, as you might be able to tell. Yeah. Uh, Mark and I are both very excited about this movie. Yeah. 
And, Probably way uh, too excited. To talk yeah, a little, a little giddy and, and a little yeah. prone to distraction. So but, apologies. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's mostly the show anyway. So that's yeah, that's true. Um, our digressions, but <laughs> so yes, at the middle of the show, I'd like to bring up that in discussing David Lynch, uh, I do want to say that I tread lightly, and here's why: because um, I was just discussing this with my brother, uh, who I mentioned earlier. Who you know, he's another film guy. He's really into to David Lynch's films as well. Um, and we've been discussing, uh, because he had mentioned something to me about, I guess now there's like a lot of people, you know, with the internet, like people cropping up, trying to really dissect his films and, and find the, the definitive meaning in each of his mm -hmm. films and things like that. And I don't know, I, I feel like people that, that watch his films and try to fully understand everything that they're experiencing, because again, it is an experience. Uh, at least to me, like a surreal sort of dream. Um, that's to me. That's not really the point, or at least that's yeah. not what. That's not David Lynch's concern. That's, his concern mm -hmm. is getting his whatever is in his brain out there. You know, yeah. in, in some in some form. And actually, he's done painting for the last. Uh, I don't know. At least probably like twenty years, at least. But well, actually, he, he, he was a, he was a well, painter done, yeah. first. He was he, yeah right. I'm sorry. Yeah, and and even in college. Yeah, because I've actually seen some of his work. Um, mm -hmm in person which was really cool in, in philadelphia yeah. uh, mm -hmm. where he went to school actually um so yeah he was he was a painter is a painter um and he definitely uh, approaches film with that painterly eye and yeah. very impressionistic and very you know sort of yeah. dreamlike um so and i've heard lynch himself speak of this on many many occasions many interviews um, and yeah. I was actually lucky enough to see him in person being interviewed oh cool uh, they showed lost highway in philadelphia at a theater there and he was you know he came and spoke and and one of the things that he always talks about is that um um you know because he, he's often asked the meaning of his films and what does it mean you know things like that and and he seems to reiterate the same notion that his films are like dreams and that dreams mean different things to different people so mm -hmm. um and and again for a while he wouldn't even really discuss his films he would not provide commentaries when director commentaries were a common thing yeah you know when dvds were the media that was that was most prolific and and, and directors and filmmakers and all all you know cast members everyone wanted to do a commentary track but david lynch refused to he refused to even put chapter selections on his uh films yeah uh you know and that's that's part of the reason because he just for him it's it's um he would like to leave the interpretation up to the viewer um mm -hmm. And he's okay with vagueness, which I agree with. I that's like one of my favorite things about him as a filmmaker, um, and you know, just letting things kind of be, like presenting them and not over-explaining or not even trying to explain them. Yeah. And but in a certain way, you still kind of get it, you know. And yeah. maybe it makes you, you know, maybe you do watch it again or mm -hmm. another time or a fourth time, you know. But again, the, the, everything's there. He present he presents them as they are in his head and. You know, but I don't know. How do you feel about that, Jeremy? That's just my take on it. But uh, yeah, it, it works. It works that? for me with David Lynch. I think, you know, I think it's always dicey territory when you see a filmmaker. Not every, yeah, not every yeah. filmmaker is like that for sure. Yeah, because some some filmmakers, you know, that I think they'll kind of use the "I'm leaving it up to interpretation" thing as a little bit of a, a cop out. <laughs> you know, if if sometimes you know that it's. It, but I yeah. think it really depends on the kind of movie because I think if someone's doing something where they're really leaning into abstraction and want something to really be organic, yeah. 
then I think that's fair. I think sometimes, you know, you get into something where there's maybe just a piece of a movie that's not landing. Um, it's clearly or, different when you watch like a Christopher Nolan movie or, you know, something like that yeah. where, where, where it's clearly very intricately plotted and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I, I think it also just, you know, depends on, honestly, uh, kind of, uh, you know, you, you don't want to be too harsh with filmmakers. And, uh, you know, my, my philosophy is that every movie is a miracle in and of itself. And there are no bad oh, yeah. movies. There, there are just movies that The fact either... that anything gets made is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. There's, no, there's no bad movies. There's just movies that work for you or don't work for you. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think that there, there's... David Lynch has a level of, of competency. You know, he's so talented in how he constructs his films that it doesn't matter as much. You know, he, yeah. he's, he's able to say, I want you to just in, interpret it and do what you want with it because he's so skilled. He's so technically skilled. Um, he's so skilled at creating interesting images, interesting characters that he kind of, in my mind, you know, gets a little bit of a pass. Not that it's necessarily a bad thing to do that, but like it doesn't bother me because I know that he's actually putting the thought and time into it. It never feels like he's saying that because he's just mm -hmm. done something on a whim. Yeah, and he's is not trying, arbitrarily yeah. doing. So yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. You're yeah. you're in good hands when you're watching. Yeah, when you're watching. Even films. even if um, you know, because I know he talks a lot about meditation, and, and I'd like to plug just because I really enjoyed it. Uh, there's a great documentary called The Art Life. David Lynch, The Art Life. Uh, that Transcendental. He, yeah. Yeah, and he he talks a lot about his process in this documentary, kind of way more, and his life growing up way more than I had ever heard him talk about it before. So if, if you're a David Lynch fan and you haven't seen okay. uh, The Art Life, is that yet. a more is that a more recent? Yeah, it came out maybe uh, three or four years ago. Oh. I know the one you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, yeah it, it's terrific. It's it's great. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those things where, like, you know, he, he pulls a lot of images from his meditation, but mm -hmm. it's not like he's just pulling the images from his meditation and then saying, okay, that's good enough. He yeah, it yeah. Really, You really get the sense that he's using the those images that he's pulling from his meditations and dreams as jumping off point to build something cinematic. Yeah. It's you like, know, what it, can I do with these? Images? What can I do with it? Exactly. It, it's not just you know, and that was something you know for me early on when I you know, and I think this is this is, there, there's there's an interesting thing you know every director and I know we're we're going on a little bit of a tangent here but you know I think David Lynch yeah, would, appreci would appreciate appreciate the tangent, <laughs> um, yeah. but you know every whenever you get into a, a director who has a really really strong style and a really strong fingerprint, whether it be. Um, you know david lynch or jordan peele or or mm. you know tarantino just someone who has their own thing and you're yeah. a young director and you start making your own stuff you know and you start pulling from them it's great mm. because you're going to learn their style but there are also certain pitfalls that you can get into and i know for me early on directing um i was really into david lynch and i got really into this idea of oh you're meditating you're pulling from dreams and i think early on i i kind of didn't understand how much work he put into yeah. building up the ideas into not right. just having the idea in the image but to really mm -hmm. crafting it and and yeah, i think I, yeah it's it's it, it, it's i think people talk a lot about david lynch as someone who's abstract but what they what, what kind of can get overlooked is just how refined his work is how polished well, think, his work is i think he is meticulous in a certain way i agree yeah. I, th I think in his own again in a painterly way just mm -hmm. like a painting is intricate in its yeah. own way um mm -hmm. i think he brings that approach to film yeah so I, yeah i know i definitely agree with you i think um I, what, what i didn't mean to say that he wasn't intentional with what he did i, he, I yeah. think 100 percent. i think he is mm -hmm. but i think um in terms of interpretation i, I think he really does want to leave that to uh 
to the audience. I don't, I don't think it's, I know what you're saying about a cop out, but I don't think, you know, with him, yeah, it's, it, it never he's feels just such like an that. artist. Yeah. It never feels that way with yeah. him. Um, and if you've seen one or two or any of his films, I think you can, you can get that right away. Yeah. Um, so, uh, cause there's always something different about them. And, and you mentioned you know, Tarantino and, you know, and Jordan Peele. So like these directors that have a certain style to them, um, you know, they're few and far between and, and you don't really yeah. s- see as many of the all tours you, you do. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy, you had mentioned that one filmmaker who, who uh, I forget her name now, but she makes uh, films that are intricately oh, yeah. like uh, 60s horror films. Yeah, uh, her, her name it's uh, it's um, Anna 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 Biller. Yeah, right. So there's who's, who's great, great. Check her yeah. out for sure. Definitely check so her another, out. So another another example, and, and you know they do they're still out there, but um, yeah, Lynch for me has always been 100% David Lynch. It's like you can't even yeah. you know, and people try to emulate him, and sometimes they're more successful or not, but um, mm-hmm. there's only one of him. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. that's why nobody else could have made. Twin Peaks: The Return, and I was I was very once I heard that he was on board and he was coming back for that, that directing every episode. I yeah, that's when I I strapped in. I was like, all right, we're we're yeah. really doing this, and he did not disappoint. If if no. any listeners out there have seen the older Twin Peaks or have not seen the older Twin Peaks, um, mm-hmm. either way, check out The Return. It is yeah. pheno- phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we mentioned imagery a lot, and I definitely want to touch on a couple of specific images. Um, because the whole focus of the series is, uh, you know, films that are not actually or not categorized as horror films, but have a lot of horrific elements to them. Or in this case, imagery uh, mm-hmm. and sound, which we're going to get to in a bit. But let's let's focus on imagery right now, Jeremy. Um, mm-hmm. Do any any scenes or any particular images stick out to you as particularly horrific in this film or? even unsettling i mean I'm, I'm sure there's lots of that but just anything yeah. that comes to mind uh, well there, there are a ton and, and you know i know mark before we got on you mentioned that this movie is funnier than you remember which is, yeah. is true I touch on that too we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. touch on that but but you yeah. know for, for the sake of this what we're talking about it you know this this non-horror movie as a horror movie and so i think you know the first thing that comes to mind is the most obvious one that's going to come to mind for most people which is that the the baby um but but the, i'm going to pick something it, it's kind of a a smaller moment in the film um, in terms of in terms of it's not the one you always are kind of seeing that people go back to but there there's a character who I think is just known as in the credits is just called like good looking woman across the hall um, or something yeah, like that the I, I, yeah. yeah the neighbor um, but but there, there's one scene near the end of the film where she basically comes over and is, is telling Henry that she's I believe locked out of her apartment and needs a place to spend the night and there's just this one shot of her where she just comes out of the darkness, um, which is interesting because in Blue Velvet, there's a really similar shot um, when uh, the Laura Dern character is introduced. Um, but th- this shot where she kind of comes out of the darkness and um, the shot is just so underexposed. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can hardly see her, um, especially in black and white like that. Um, yeah. And I don't know why. That's, that's always just been an image and a feeling that's really, really stuck with me because you normally don't see a shot that that uh, that's just that dark outside of a horror movie you know like like i guess maybe in the godfather or something like that but like yeah Yeah. i don't know if you if you can think of other examples but for sure that uh there's probably like so many examples the way that lynch plays with dark and light throughout all his films like his entire Mm -hmm. career um is just phenomenal like you know he's i feel like he's i don't know yeah i feel like he's he's gotten every angle of of like that that kind of a 
the the not only the relationship between light and dark, but actually the actual imagery of light and dark. Like you see so much of it with the flickering lights. Um, there's a lot of that in, in maybe like the newer Twin Peaks or mm-hmm. uh, Mulholland Drive and things like that. And there's some of that here too. Um, but yeah, even just shots like you mentioned, Jeremy, which I'm glad you brought that up because that's not a, a shot that many people would normally think of or mm-hmm. would go to norm- uh, right away for the horrific tone that we're going for. But to me, yeah, that's, there's something so foreboding about that. I know, I know what shot you're talking about. And um, cause I think it takes her a long time to like emerge from the dark. Yeah. Too, it's it's it? very yeah. slow and you kind of, you know, you, you, it's, it's not uncommon, you know, David Lynch definitely watched a lot of old Hollywood movies and it's not yeah. uncommon to introduce a character by having them step out of the darkness. But I think what, for me with that shot, it's that she steps out of the darkness, but she never really steps into the light. She yeah. just moves out of the darkness enough where you can see that she's there. And, yeah, and it's like, it's just so weird. It's so in between. It's like, he brings it to the extreme of that idea of, of the character emerging into the light. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, like you said, she doesn't even fully emerge into the light. She's sort of hidden in shadows and, and the dark mm-hmm. still. Um, which, again, I guess, you know, in, and you could dive into that. What does it mean? Um, and it could mean a lot of things uh, about her character or, or what she represents in the story. Um, sort of like the dark side, maybe calling out to Henry or, again, up for interpretation. Um, so I don't want to get too much into actual interpretations, but... Um, you know, I'm going to be a little boring with my choice because this is probably an obvious one, Jeremy, but uh, for, for horrific imagery, at least. Um, the lady in the radiator has always yeah. creeped me out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's something about, so, it, you know, if, you, if the listener hasn't seen it, um, if, well, first of all, please watch the film if you haven't. Yeah, if, if or, you haven't seen it and you're still listening, you are, you are please, patient please, please. because yeah. you are yeah, so confused right now. <laughs> yeah. You're probably so confused. Yeah. Um, but also just do yourself a favor and watch this film but anyway so there's this woman there's a character called the lady in the radiator and we don't really know anything about her or nothing is explicitly said about her other than she's a woman that lives in the radiator and she has this makeup uh that's is sort of like her cheeks are puffed out but they sort of look hardened and Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's just a type of makeup that or i'm not sure what was used for that no clue um yeah again it's like shrouded in mystery all this stuff but Mm -hmm. um and there, there are also you know, tales on the from beyond the uh, the set that that said that maybe uh, the I don't know if the actress was, was actually uh, I don't know if she had like a skin irritation or something happened to her skin because of this makeup. I'm not sure if that's actually true or not. Yeah. But anyway, so this image of this woman and and she's sort of you know we talk about dark and light and she's sort of bathed in light and a lot of it. She's in like this big spotlight and she kind of moves in and out of it and does this very strange dance step thing. Mm-hmm kind of moving back and forth while she's stepping on these, uh, I don't know what they are exactly, slugs or bugs or something like that. Yeah, who knows? And um, yes, and she's also, you know, just kind of smiling. And for some reason, the smile is like the creepiest, most, you know, unsettling thing you could see. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's all very dreamlike. And uh, there's, there's of course, a song that eventually comes uh, w- along with the imagery where we're in heaven, in heaven everything is fine and with that sort of high-pitched voice and just the combination of all those things for me has always sort of I, I guess creeped me out I don't know how else to say it mm-hmm. and so with all the dark imagery it's not it's kind of funny that like you know it's it's one of the brighter shots in the movie but because yeah. it's so bright and so in your face um, you know the makeup is just so strange and this character is so strange so something about that um, just always you know freaked me out a little bit and also 
you know, and that does combine the music and the soundtrack as well, which I wanted to get into. So that's a good segue there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because the soundtrack, the 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 uh, not just the soundtrack, the the sound the soundscape, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess say, the sound right? design. Well, the other combination. The sound it's design. Not, yeah, sound design, yeah. sound. Yeah, every everything. It's every, yeah, the mix from the mixing of it to mm-hmm. just the sounds they used, uh, the mm-hmm. foley sounds and and every like the ambient sounds. Oh, this this movie is so ambient. Um, yeah. The even scenes where he, uh, Henry's just walking around and you know he's outside and you wouldn't expect her to be like this kind of like you know like this odd ambient buzz. So it's like an industrial, you know, a lot of industrial uh, themes in this film, for sure. Um, I guess that goes back to the area that Lynch lived in in Philly. But um, yeah, what, I don't know. What, what are your what are your thoughts about the, you know, the sounds of this of Eraserhead? Well, what it's, it's, it's weird because it's a very quiet film, but also a very loud film. Like it's yeah, the, there like are this, moments that are yeah very quiet. Yeah, because it's like it's like quiet in terms of that. It's not, you know. Like 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 the, 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 the diegetic sound, you know, the sounds that are actually happening, you don't hear every footstep that a character takes. You don't hear no. every movement. So it's kinda mm-hmm. quiet in that sense that it's not like from a realist realistic perspective, it's not yeah. designed in the way that we would normally associate movie sound design. You know, normally if a character walks across a space you hear every footstep. If they move right. you hear clothing rustle. Mm-hmm. And like you don't hear everything in this. Yeah. But it's yeah. but it's filled with yeah, like you said, like ambience. You know, like all like all kinds of you know, if if a window's open, yeah. we don't gently hear the wind. The wind is blasting. <laughs> it's like gusting, in the room. Yeah. Like, you know, well, any 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 opportunity for, for to push some kind of which I think is yeah. a lot of what lends itself to the feeling of horror movie. Um, yeah yeah like unsettling almost yeah Um, and that disconnection like you said uh yeah i didn't even think about that but when sometimes people are walking and you don't hear their footsteps yeah or you know or you do in certain parts it's it's like they're very it's Mm -hmm. almost like they really picked and choose when they wanted to have certain sounds come in and be heard Mm -hmm. um and whether they did that for budget reasons or or whatever um it it works i think it adds to the overall feeling of it um very unsettling a lot of it yeah. Which, again, and, just adds it to the creepy vibe of it. Yeah, and I think it, it can't be, uh, you know... Like, we, we have to look at how influential this movie is to horror movies as a non-horror movie. Because to I experimental think... experimental film and... Yeah, and horror Yeah, experimental, films. but specifically, you know, talking about in, in this series, yeah. non-horror horror movies, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a horror movie that's coming out today that in some way is not influenced by the sound design in Eraserhead. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that that kind of ambient approach. Because you look at, you know, horror movies pre-Eraserhead and, you know, and, and you know, one movie which we, we've we've talked about, um, Carnival of Souls, I know is actually a big influence yes. on Eraserhead and David Lynch loves that movie, which that mm-hmm. kind of fits. I mean, I guess that's more of a horror movie, but kind of also yeah. could fit into the this there's category. A, there's um, a through line there. For yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. But but other than that, you look at the, the kind of soundscapes that were present in most horror movies around that time. And the big thing was, you know, how Hitchcock did Psycho and these kind of really intense strings and, you know, kind of jolting score. And then you have Lynch come through with Eraserhead. And then, you know, through the 80s, horror movies are filled with ambience. They're filled with droning sounds and wind. And, and, and you know, it continues right to this day. I mean, you, you think yeah. about, uh, I, I think about like uh, 
uh, Robert Eggers, who, you know, he, I don't know if he would consider himself a horror filmmaker or not, but, you know, I, I would say his films are definitely horror films, or Ari Aster, yeah. or, you know, a lot, a lot yeah. of the kind of big horror filmmakers from today, and particularly a film like The Lighthouse, you know, mm-hmm. is just so inspired by Eraserhead. Like the, yeah. you know, he, I know in The Lighthouse they have that, that foghorn that's just blasting every eight seconds through the entire movie <laughs> that just right. becomes ambience, and that's equivalent to, in my mind, equivalent to wind in a racer head or equivalent to yeah. buzzing, you know, it's like, it's, it's right mm-hmm. there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I think it's had tons of influence and even though it's a cult film, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're going to, if you're a filmmaker, I almost feel like you, you know, not to say yeah. you need to watch this movie, but you, you kind of have to, <laughs> Yeah, you kind of have to watch a racer head at least once in your life. You have to experience mm-hmm. it. If you're interested in film, I think even just, even objectively, mm-hmm. it's just an interesting film yep. to watch um and oh okay so i i actually remember what i was going to say jeremy i was going to say that um it's rare you know we're talking about the blending of horror film and cult film and now there are plenty of cult films that are horror films but mm-hmm. you don't see many cult films like Eraserhead head that are just so uh artfully done so experimental um where it's almost like an art house film but also it has that um, I don't know. I don't want to say. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say camp. I don't yeah. want to say that word. But it's, it's not necessarily there's... camp, but it's that off off kilter. Off kilter. Yeah, you, know, you know, you know, the perfect term is is we talk here. You hear it more in the art world, um, but it feels like a piece of outsider art. It doesn't feel like a thing that is mm-hmm. made mm-hmm. for. I even. I mean, honestly, it doesn't even really feel like a thing that's made for an audience. As weird as that sounds. It, like, yeah. it kind of feels like it, it was does just and it made. Doesn't. It kind of yeah. yeah, it kind of feels like it was made just to explore something for mm-hmm. the artist. Yeah, and felt... th- and that's why it's so mm-hmm. organic and. Yeah, it. Yeah, it definitely it... feels it feels very personal for sure. Um, yeah, and kind and of again, transcends I, I camp. Yeah, it kind of transcends yeah. camp. Like it, it doesn't because you know there's there's you know then when there's there's plenty of ruminations on on camp and what camp means and where the line is drawn but it doesn't feel like at any time this movie is really at least to me you know everyone has different opinions someone might watch it and feel the exact opposite but it doesn't Eraserhead the the thing I love about it and what's so hard to do with this kind of movie um, it doesn't feel like it's trying to be weird it doesn't feel no that's that's the thing Jeremy because I I feel like a lot of you know and it's great to be influenced by this film for sure Mm -hmm. but I think when yeah when you lean into it so heavily and maybe mm-hmm. you're not maybe the filmmaker isn't even aware of it but i have seen instances of it where it mm-hmm. does feel a bit forced which yeah. you know i still appreciate it because i understand what they're going for yeah but yeah it's hard it's 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 a hard line for sure i mean make, making movies um, is hard it's, it's really hard and sometimes you know you try something but mm-hmm. yeah like we always say like making movies is hard and so it's a hard line but I think Lynch, because maybe he was like the first or whatever yeah. you want to say, mm-hmm. not the first experimental filmmaker, but he was mm-hmm. the first, you know, the Eraserhead is one of a kind. So, yeah. you know, when you're the he, first, the you're first kinda, David Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're the archetype. So because, you know, you know a, a filmmakers since 1977, when this movie came out, could hit a wall and say, the, all right, what would the, David Lynch do? But David Lynch couldn't, you know, David Lynch couldn't hit a wall and say, what would David Lynch do? He, you know, maybe he was saying, what would Ingmar Bergman do or something like that. Yeah, but exactly. You know, <laughs> but. So, yeah, that's, I mean, again, you know, actually for a time I'd use an image from this movie. I just was, I was just going through images of the film and I saw an image of uh, the scene when Henry's head is replaced by the baby's head. 
mm-hmm. uh, when he's standing on the balcony in the theater. And I had actually used that image for our show for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. Because, yeah. like, to me, that just kind of stood out as, like, a cult movie image. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Th- so now, you know, we've discussed a lot about this film. And I just want to end uh, by delving into what you brought up a little bit earlier and we were both were talking about before we recorded um, about how the film is actually is very funny. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of humor in it mm-hmm. and I think mostly intentional. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but there's something about the, the humor in the film that seems like they were going for a laugh, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and, and you kind of need it in a way because it does alleviate some of the tension Yeah. and, it, and the way it's done is still, quirky and, and strange uh, so it's not it's not really I wouldn't say it's totally breaking you know the mystique of the film or anything like that if anything it adds to it yeah um, and I think further pushes it into that cult territory oh that absolutely sort of, you know almost that almost camp territory that we were talking about yeah there, um, there's this this one great moment where uh, Henry kind of comes into the room and the, his, his little kid's been kind of coughing but he's not sure what's going on and then he just goes, oh, you are sick. And it just cuts to the little baby. Oh, and the baby has, like, warts all over it. And you get this, like, dun, like this, right? Like, dun, 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 mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's, you know, in, in an yeah, almost like kind of cheesy dramatic. horror movie way. And it's really <laughs> yeah. funny. It's it's scary because it's it's a horrific image. Yeah. But it's really funny. And I I, it's like I don't think that... Melodramatic. Yeah, like a moment like that, you know, I, I, I feel like David Lynch and everyone else working on that had to understand that that was funny. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, the, like there was a knowledge, but it was never, you know, it was never a joke where they were pushing a joke. They just kind of let it be funny, and that's the thing. You know, what, what I love about what I love about Lynch is that he is funny, and a lot, a lot of my favorite directors are very dark but have moments of humor. And I remember I had, you know, to give a little anecdote, I had a, I had the first time I watched Blue Velvet. Um, I remember just coming away with the feeling, oh, that was so intense. That was so serious. That was such a brutal movie. Um, and a lot of the first the first watch for me of most David Lynch movies, I didn't mm-hmm. really see the humor in them just because they are intense because they're, they're really intense. And it almost gets easy to forget. I remember one time I, I took my my girlfriend to see Blue Velvet and I hadn't watched it mm-hmm. in a long time. Oh, and in yeah. my mind, oh, it's this quirky David Lynch movie. And you kind of forget yeah. how how disturbing mm-hmm. it is. Um, and she yeah. was like, what is this? And I was, oh, you know, um, but um, <laughs> yeah. but but there I was exactly there, what you mean. I, I had one experience. Though, the, the, so the first time I saw Blue Velvet was on my own at home. But the second time I saw it was in a theater. And so I had this this memory of it. It had probably been like six months or a year since I had seen it uh, for the first mm-hmm. time. And I had this this memory of it being this really serious, serious movie. And I'm in the theater and, you know, there are parts that people are laughing at, you know, like the way mm-hmm. the characters are talking, the kind of uncomfortable pauses and at first i started kind of almost getting upset because i'm like why are you laughing at a david lynch movie like this is this is high art cinema and and then by the end you know like as i really kind of forced me to open myself up to it because i'm like well you're in an audience and you have Mm -hmm. to move with the audience it's not worth it trying to fight an audience in a theater you should Mm -hmm. try to connect and by the end watching it for a second time i was like oh like yeah there are some brutal moments in this but this is also hilarious and and the more for me the more you go back to david lynch movies what's so fun is that they become funny over time the more you watch them and also for me just you know as i as i get a little older and you know you 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 come across different experiences in your life and maybe your worldview shifts a little bit and you're able to appreciate um things that maybe wouldn't have been funny to you before yeah but now now you you know you've gotten past the initial horror or the initial kind of abject the disgustingness horror, exactly. of it and you can yeah. see how funny something is 
And I think that's, you know, what makes this movie and, you know, all of his movies, except yeah. maybe except maybe Dune, I don't know, people have, it's polarizing, yeah. but, uh, you well, know, you yeah. know, or like, you know, I, The Elephant Man isn't really a funny movie, but right. a brilliant movie, but, but. Many of his, no, uh, yeah, many of his films definitely have that mm-hmm. melodramatic yeah. thing to it. And like, the perf- a lot of the times it's just in the performances. Yeah. And I, I don't know what it is about David Lynch that he just brings these performances out of these actors. Yeah. Um, all the all the actors he's worked with, like, it's almost like everyone's on the same level. Yeah. Um, I noticed that even in the new uh, series, the new mm-hmm. Twin Peaks series, that everyone is just on the same vibe. It's like, and it's hard to explain, but when you're watching one of his films, you just know it. And, and so again, when people, like when audiences laugh, I don't, yeah, like I'm not really offended. I, I, I think like they're doing it in the nature that, yeah, that it should be done, you know, like, exactly, yeah. cause, cause sometimes it is just so over the top. Um, mm-hmm. And some of it is just intense. Like I, I find a lot of Blue Velvet actually hard to watch. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Because Brutal. it is so intense. But then there was, so I think it's also like a relief for an yeah. audience. I think you need those moments. Um, you kind of need, yeah, to laugh at something. You need to, and, and there are like Dennis Hopper in that movie is, is so funny, but also yeah. so scary. Yeah. So scary at the same time, um, which plays into what we're yeah. discussing. Actually, here, if, like, if the mix if, of camp and, and horror. Yeah. If we have time for, for two two little anecdotes, um, you know, one, one is more of just a general David Lynch thing and the other, oh, they were both kind of general David Lynch things, but I think the second is more related to Razorhead. So the first, you know, because I don't know if we're ever going to get to talk about just Blue Velvet, although it seems to come up all the time yeah. anyway. Um, but <laughs> my, my, my dad told me that when he saw the movie for the first time, right when it came out in theaters, he was living in Los Angeles at the time, and he watched the movie, and as soon as the lights came up, um, Dennis Hopper was sitting right in front of him and turned around <laughs> and covered, put his hand over his face and goes, don't fucking look at me, which I think is just the coolest. <laughs> Are you serious? Like, yeah, he was like imitating his character, so that's just a oh cool anecdote. God. Um, That's amazing. In in regards to did to, he have a Pabst in his hand, like a Pabst Blue Ribbon, or I, I I don't know, I don't think so, but that, <laughs> that would have been terrific. Um, but the other uh, the other the other thing is it was a piece of uh, writing that I read a while ago. Um, it's in David Foster Wallace's collection of essays. Um, you know, at risk of sounding like a literary slash film bro, it was it was in uh, it was in it was in David Foster Wallace's collection of essays a supposedly fun thing i'll never do again and there's a great essay he wrote um um basically where he he tracked um david lynch on set of on the set of lost highway he was he was invited i think by david lynch or hired by a publication but i would imagine on a david lynch set you have to be invited on um, mm-hmm. so, so he was definitely there on purpose to basically follow David Lynch around and do a profile on him wow. while he was making um, Lost Highway. And so it's a, really, it's a really fascinating piece of writing for any Lynch fanatics out there or David Foster Wallace people. Okay. Must read. That, yeah. yeah, it's great. But one thing he was talking about that always stuck with me when we're talking about the performances David Lynch gets is that he was – David Foster Wallace made a very astute observation, which is that all characters in David Lynch films – are possessed not possessed <laughs> in the sense that they are overcome by a ghost or some kind of entity mm-hmm. but that they just have this kind of uh determination and behavioral quality that it's like something is living inside them that is making them behave a certain way that is outside of the norm mm-hmm. but because they're all possessed because every single person there is possessed we just accept it as the reality and that that has always really stuck yep. with me. And I find myself, you know, whenever I'm watching a horror movie, to bring it back to that, I think about that idea of possession. And, you know, like I said, not not possession in terms of 
you know, is it a ghost, you know, is it, is it uh, the conjuring, but possession in terms of is the movie possessed? Do these characters mm-hmm. just flawlessly integrate into the situation and become overcome by it? How much are they living in the horror? And does the movie possess us as an audience? You know, are we possessed by the movie? Are we so drawn in that we're we're held on to it? Um, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know. So that, that's just that's just always stuck with me, and is a thing that I find myself thinking about constantly. And I think that there's maybe no better example of a possessed David Lynch mm-hmm. movie than Eraserhead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, possession. That that explains it. I think. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Um, because there's something that makes it all work, and I think that's what it is. Again, it's like everyone is on that same level, and it all started with Eraserhead, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know i think that's the one to go back to um to see where this all began and the short films before that of course um so yeah there again so there's a lot to discuss i, can't, I still can't believe that dennis hopper thing I know, where was yeah. your dad so where was the theater at what where was uh, the i I, 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 I can ask him uh i mean i okay. could try t- i could try texting him right now and we, we can put it in I the would show guess notes. like new york or la or it, it was in la he was living in la oh, okay. in, in, in the oh, okay yeah mm-hmm that's amazing. Uh, yep. Yeah, we talked about uh, Dennis Hopper a lot on the show too. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. So he he's always a character in his own right. Um, mm-hmm. He's possessed. He was possessed by something, I think. Anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, his, his entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. One big possession. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that so Jeremy, you know, we wanted to talk about it, it's October, it's Halloween, spooky time. We wanted to talk about something horror related. We're both huge horror fans, and I'm glad that we decided on doing this series because I think it's really interesting and there's a lot of films coming up that we want to talk about not just Eraserhead even though we gushed about that for however long this was uh, but there is another film we're going to discuss next time and that's going to be Jacob's Ladder which you know speaking of nightmarish imagery that has a lot of it uh, and you know just we're going to be talking about a lot of films like that um, which are horrific but also cult films and not really horror films so that's what we're going with and I'm excited to talk about it and um a lot of good films coming up uh, but thank you for joining us for this one jeremy did you have any closing comments about Eraserhead or david lynch or anything or no Dennis just Hopper? you know i, I hope <laughs> I, I hope if, if for anyone if this is your first david lynch movie that you've watched um and uh, that we, we were able to kind of help provide some some insight into our fanaticism and mm-hmm. that you know you you are compelled to go explore the rest of his body of work because he's really a yeah. one of a kind filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And you know, now you're, now you're really part of the cult. Now yeah. you have to go watch yeah. all of his movies. <laughs> yeah. Lo- love it or love it or hate it. If, if you love now, movies, he, he's now worth, you're, uh, now you're possessed. Now you're possessed. Now you're possessed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's one of my favorites mm-hmm. and, and he's one of my favorites, David Lynch. So mm-hmm. glad we finally got to talk about Jeremy. Yay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Thank you for listening to Cult Movie Cult. And you can find us on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, or if you'd like to officially join the cult and be a guest on the show, please feel free to reach out at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. This has been Cult Movie Cult. And until next time, so long from the other side.